When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to All Music Movies, a part of the All Music Podcast series and a companion podcast to All Music Books Deep Dive. Here, we explore music films and documentaries rather than books, and there are so many great ones, old and new. In fact, these days, there seems to be a new music film or documentary every week, so we're very excited to explore this area. I'm your host, Steve J. so grab your popcorn, sit back and relax, enjoy the show. Let's talk music documentaries and films. Our guest today is Peter Spire, an L.A. filmmaker who has done several music documentaries. Today, we're going to talk about one of his hip-hop documentaries. Welcome, Peter. Hey, Steve. How you doing? Doing great. So you've done several hip-hop films and documentaries from the classic days. How did these projects get started, and specifically this one, which is Notorious B.I.G., Bigger Than Life? Well, um, I had made a film back in 94 on a photographer named Sally Mann that got nominated for an Academy Award. It was a documentary. And uh, with that momentum, I had 100 ideas that I wanted to do. My sister actually hooked me up with this guy who had some financing that he wanted to invest in a film. And I literally went through I don't know, 20 ideas with him. And one of them was to do a documentary about hip hop culture. And at the time, you know, hip hop was sort of being attacked by, you know, the mainstream media as being misogynistic and violent and all this kind of stuff. And it was being glamorized in music videos. And I felt that it lacked what it was really about and the reality of, of how people lived and their relationship. You know, there was no really understanding of the culture from a visual uh, standpoint. It was in two different places, you know, either condemning it or party lifestyle that was really not really accurate. You know, I talked to him about doing a, a film, kind of a survey documentary about the culture. And he said, guy, you know, this is I really like this idea. Let me think about it. And he literally left my office. And 20 minutes later, he calls me up and he says, hey, I want to come back and meet with you because I want to move forward. I want to do this. Wow. Yeah, it was like the easiest yes I've ever had. You know, I've, I've been doing this a long time. And, you know, and he was a great partner. His name was Chuck Block. He was my partner. And uh, we, had, we had a great time. So this film originally came out in 2007. It's since been re-released. But, you know, that 2000 date, you know, that's what, 15 years ago. Yeah. And it's got a seriously raw kind of street feel to it. So I want to ask, is that how you wanted to tell this story? And if so, why? Yeah. And just to back up a little bit. So after making Rhyme and Reason, I made a number of other documentaries on hip hop culture. I did the Beef series, which was incredibly popular at the time. I did a film on Tupac Shakur called Thug Angel. We did feature film numbers on those films. I mean, so hundreds and hundreds of thousands of videos at the time when home video was a big deal. 
And, you know, I got the opportunity to spend time with Tupac and Biggie, and I felt that they were comparable, but that Tupac, for whatever reason, had kind of taken off into like this mythical legend and there were these films about him i made one of them a couple of other good directors made made films on tupac and i thought gosh you know biggie is absolutely deserving of his own documentary and i have the last really great interview with him before he passed away and you know he deserves a film and i went out against all odds to do this thing. And I thought if I could connect with people that had a personal relationship with him, I could tell a side of the story that people really didn't know. And I really wanted to capture how he grew up and the friends that knew him before he had made it, you know, and that was my goal. You know, I connected with the guy who discovered him and brought him to Puffy. He led me to all those folks who grew up together. Well, there is quite an array of characters who help tell this story. And the two guys you just mentioned, I think, they're two grade school friends who are really compelling. Yeah, Chico. Yep, Chico is one. He's a, a great storyteller. Uh, do they need any convincing to speak to you? You know, I, I had a lot of uh, momentum going with rhyme and reason and all the beef things that I did. So, you know, my other partner on it was Mateo. And he basically connected with these folks and said, hey, here's a guy that did Rhyme and Reason. You know, here's a guy that did Tupac, Doug Angel. They were like, yeah, let's, let's get involved. And on the flip side of that, Biggie obviously captivated everyone from Jay-Z to Tupac, as you mentioned, from Diddy to Method Man, and Raekwon from Wu-Tang Clan. How did you get them on board? Yeah, so some of the stuff was archival footage from Rhyme and Reason, but a lot of it was new. I mean, certainly, you know, the Method Man interview, Common, um, you know, there's a couple of other guys in there. I can't think of whom right now, but, you know, there were definitely uh, new interviews with guys and some myths of the archive stuff that I already had. And I do have to mention, the film is narrated by Big Daddy Kane. That's yeah. very cool. Very, very cool. You know, he was a big uh, influence on Biggie. Oh. You know, mm. you can almost hear their rapping styles are similar in some ways. You know, he's got that big baritone voice. Yeah. You know, Biggie had that too, you know. I mean, Biggie, I think, took it to another level. I mean, Kane is an amazing, amazing rap artist. But I, there's, you know, one Biggie. I mean, <laughs> he was undeniable when he got on the mic. There, There's nobody like him. Well, let's talk a little bit about the film. I absolutely loved the opening of this film with all the answering machines, tapes, the old school stuff. What was all that about? Well, you know, Chico had saved this stuff and I thought it was really cool. You know, he had talked to me about having these tape recordings of people that he knew in his life about meeting up. And I thought it was kind of an innovative way to introduce some of the characters that we would be meeting throughout the film. The film is so raw. I wanted to give it this kind of maybe more polished opening uh, just to say, hey, we're watching a real movie and not a bunch of home video footage. Mm. Uh, so I think that was part of it, you know, to get inside what, you know, what his room might look like in the hood. And, you know, we kind of recreated that a little bit, but in a very highly stylized way. If I think about it, there are probably other reasons why I did that, but I loved it. I thought it set the table very well for the type of film that follows it. 
you know, just from the outset, I was I was taken in. Cool. So as, as you mentioned, the film utilizes a lot of very early raw footage of B.I.G., freestyling on the streets of New York. There's an outdoor grill going. There's like 200 people in an open mic. Where did this footage come from? Well, fortunately, there were folks in the neighborhood that had this footage. Um, I just made deals with them to license the footage and to use it in the film. And they came from all kinds of different sources. Some of it's from, you know, stuff I shot. Some of it's from 50 Grand. Uh, Dream Hampton was a producer and she had some of it. But yeah, I came from a number of different people. All the cultural stuff, all that stuff is very authentic. Yeah, it sets the stage so well. And if you're a fan of that music and go back and think about kind of the, the Jamaican rap scene, right? That was always these outside festivals or, or street festivals, really, with, you know, the jerk chicken or the goat or something going. And just seeing that footage, you compare that to what he becomes and the types of places that he would play. And it's just amazing. Oh, yeah. I mean, the transformation from living you know, in Brooklyn. And then as a matter of fact, I mean, when he gets out to California and he's seeing this whole new life and lifestyle, he doesn't want to go back to, unfortunately, to his ultimate demise. He was looking for something better. He was looking for something bigger. He didn't want to live in the hood. He wanted to have a beautiful life and uh, live in a nice neighborhood and, and get away from all that stuff. You're listening to All Music Podcasts, a member of Pantheon Media. We're speaking today with Peter Spire, who is the director and producer of a documentary film called Notorious B.I.G., Bigger Than Life. I have to say, of course, a beef with Tupac, who is in the film, lies at the heart of the film and in how it ends. Can you give our listeners your dime version of the first shooting of Tupac that kind of got between them at the beginning? You know, I go into it a little bit in the film. It's probably deeper than that. Tupac always accused Biggie of setting him up. However, when you talk to the Biggie camp, those guys, they didn't even know he was coming to the studio. As a matter of fact, I think that Biggie was shouting out the window, hey, Tupac, come hang out with us. So they had no idea what was going down. But it was very common back in those days rappers would set up other rappers for their jewelry. I mean, it was a thing. I mean, it was a thing. The difference is most rappers would just give up what they had. He didn't give up his chain. He was like, I'm not giving you my chain. I'm not. Mm. They basically had to shoot him. Wow. I would doubt highly that Biggie had anything to do with it. Is it possible in the realm of possibilities? I guess it is, you know, but I, he, I, I don't know. I just don't, I, I, yeah. You know, it's it's easy to forget how young these guys were. And seeing Biggie's crew talk about Tupac shooting and their own security team and who they are, and they're smoking blunts and drinking Dom and Hennessy and strapped to the max, it was a little frightening, I have to say. And every rapper has that set up, don't they? Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. When Biggie got shot, he was only 24. I mean, that's just incredible, right? And I don't think I have this in my movie either, but what people don't realize is that the Peterson Museum is literally three or four minutes away from Cedar sinai mm. the greatest hospital in Los Angeles. It took them 35 minutes to get there. Wow. They got lost wow. getting to the hospital. There's no GPS back there. Right, right. I think there's a very good chance Biggie would have survived. 
I mean, had he received immediate medical attention, he was still breathing and living while they were trying to get him to the hospital. Considering the threats they were getting, I think a highly professional security team would have had a plan of how to get to the hospital if something went down. I think these were things that they didn't really expect. I can't remember who it is in the film that says this. You can't underestimate the ignorance of people in L.A. It can get very violent very quickly. Right, right. You have your own interviews with Biggie in this film. What was he like in person? He was the greatest. I mean, he was so cool. He had an aura about him. There's no doubt about it. When I went to interview him, he, you know, he's very welcoming. You know, he hadn't achieved the kind of fame and notoriety that he would later have, but he was still regarded as somebody very special in the culture and somebody who was really coming up in a very, very big way. You know, we were doing the interview and I noticed that he had his gold records, they were still in plastic. Mm-hmm. I said, hey, would you would you open up one of those? You know, and he's like, he's opening it up for the very first time. It's so cool, man. You know, it's like, there, there it is. I, he's a guy that really loved life. He loved being on this planet. He loved his family. He loved his friends. He loved his mother. I, I don't think he wanted drama. I don't think he wanted to get involved in the beef and all of these other things. And I mean, I chalk it up to a, a colossal misunderstanding. Tupac was a little different. Tupac, a few times that I met him, he loved life too, but he was also living on the edge. Mm. I always thought that he, he almost had this kind of death wish or I'm not going to be here forever. Like he was running out of time. he did so much you know i think he he had that intuition or whatever it is that you know he might not be here forever you know Mm -hmm. biggie on the other hand it was really sad when he passed away as much as i was saddened by tupac's passing biggie just because i know how much you know he enjoyed his success how much he appreciated his success Well, there's an interesting line that he says in one of your interviews with him that to me spoke about a lot of things. And he said, quote, associates and friends are two different things. Where did Tupac fall, associate or friend? Oh, definitely associate. I mean, he he, he wasn't a friend. I think at one time they went in that direction. And then after the shooting, no, no. You got to realize they have so many people coming at them and their real friends are the guys that they grew up with. Uh, they're very cautious. You know, they're very, very cautious. You know, it's like a kind of a circle, you know, making rhyme and reason. Part of the, the struggle making that film was just connecting with people where they felt comfortable enough to even be interviewed. Right, right. Trusting you to, to interview them. Snoop always talks about that. Like, you know, I've got my homies, I've got my dogs, I've got my soldiers, you know, you know, he'll, he'll define each group of people. And as you get closer to him, you know, these are people that he begins to trust. Well, Tupac was murdered in Vegas in 1996. And, you know, details are still kind of murky about that and who might've been involved. Biggie was gunned down just six months later in LA. Was there East Coast, West Coast, or Crips Blood beef behind any of this, do you think? So there's a lot of speculation about what happened. And I'm very foggy on the details, but I do know that it was a gang shooting. It was absolutely gang shooting. And I think part of this 
had to do with Biggie being out here and it had nothing to do with Suge. It had nothing. I mean, people say that, but it just, that wasn't what happened. But what actually happened was that there was somebody from the Crips who basically said to Puffy, they were providing protection for him. And they said, hey, you know, we got a lot of great artists out here, man, you know. And Puffy was like, yeah, yeah, great, you know. And he goes, we ought to do something together. And Puffy was like, yeah, yeah, we should do that. We should do that. Well, he took that as a, yeah, you can move forward. But he ended up spending money, going to the studio, recording people. And then when Puffy got out here, he was like, oh, hey, man, I've been doing that, you know, stuff we talked about. Puffy's like, what? <laughs> yeah. Um, and you owe me a million dollars. And Puffy was like, wow, what are you out of your mind? He goes, hey, man, you better pay me or it won't be safe for you to be out here. Wow. And so here's what's crazy. The night they went to the Peterson, they got calls. Do not go to the Peterson. Do not go. It's not safe for you guys. You should not go. And Puffy was told this, but again, the guy's 24 right. and he goes, you know what? You know, the hell with those guys, right. you know, we're, we're going to do it anyway. Hmm. 24. And uh, they decide to have the party, you know, and I, I think they had security, but I, I, you know. What was the most difficult aspect of making this film? After all, as we've talked, several of the key people, including the star of the movie are dead. Well, um, there's plenty of times where you're making films about, you know, deceased subjects, but there were a lot of rights issues that I had to navigate and figure that out. The company that I ended up working with, we had an opportunity to do something with the estate that fell out that was very, very difficult. So in the end, I did not have the opportunity to use Biggie's music in my film. Mm. <laughs> so I kind of felt like I was a magician that had to do this hour and a half film without the music, which was very, very difficult. But the, the film is about him. It's really not about the music. And I did get producers that worked with him. So we had music that felt like it's Biggie-ish, but not big music. So those are some of the obstacles. And, you know, when you, when you make a documentary, you never know what direction you'll go in. I think that we created a very authentic film regarding like the man he was, how he grew up, uh, the relationships that he had, his insights into life and expressing how talented he was. You mentioned his estate. Were they difficult or easy to work with? Well, the estate uh, was difficult, difficult, difficult. You know, I got the blessing to do the film initially. As we went on, things changed. Much had to do, unfortunately, with the company I was working with at the time. So, you know, when you're a filmmaker, there are things that happen behind the scenes that sometimes you're not privy to. Right. And unfortunately, I, I was desperate for our company to make a deal with Fox Searchlight. I think Fox Searchlight had the movie rights. And I had screened the film for executives at Fox Searchlight, which loved the movie. They were like, oh, my God, this is fantastic. So they loved the movie. And they were like, hey, what we want to do is we want to release the feature film theatrically and on the same day release your film in home video world, you know, which was very big at the time. I thought, oh, my God, this is fantastic, right? This was the answer to all my prayers. When I had the vision of making this film, this was like the boat that I was in that was sailing up right into the sunset. 
And the executive said, hey, they said, look, we're going to pay you a good amount of money for this film, but we're not going to give you some crazy number. I said, don't worry, no problem. We'll, we'll, you know, whatever it is, you know, we'll be very interested in taking a look at whatever. And I told my company, do the deal. Let's do the deal with them, right? To make it a co-pro with, with Image at the time and Fox Searchlight. Well, Image, for whatever reason, asked for five times the amount they offered. <laughs> and they blew the deal. Wow. So now, instead of having all this goodwill, I now created enemies. Right. They didn't tell me this. They didn't say, oh, hey, man, things broke down over here. I mean, I don't know what world these people were living in, these executives, but it definitely screwed me up. You know, I finally got in touch with the woman at Fox Searchlight. She goes, you know, we thought we've made a very nice deal for you guys, and you guys just, you know, crapped all over us. I said, are you kidding me? Uh, Let me try to fix this. She goes, it's too late now. So a little beef with the uh, Fox Searchlight, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, I, I mean... It was insane to me. You know, I had all this music in the film. I had to take that. I mean, they were very upset with me, which I understand why. But believe me, I would have gladly made whatever deal they were offering at the time. All right. Well, it's a great movie. I want to ask, what would you like the audience to walk away with after watching your film? I think a, maybe a, um, a more nuanced understanding of who Biggie was, you know, the sense of humor that he had the love for his friends that he had, and that he wasn't this kind of gangster rapper. You know, why he became this profound influencer on the culture. The last question here. I recently read a great quote, and I'm not sure if you've seen this one, but the quote was, Biggie ran New York, Pac ran America. And I'm curious what you think about that. And do you think that sums up their shared story, or does it put some emphasis, you know, too much on Pac? Or, or what do you think of that? Um, I'd have to think about that for a minute. I mean, I understand where the quote comes from. I I think Biggie was loved all over America. I don't think he was relegated to New York. You know, I mean, the guy had influence everywhere. Tupac, he's almost a cult of personality at this point. I think on every level, though, in my opinion, they are equals. They are really, really equals. I don't think there has been a better rapper than Biggie, actually. I I don't think anybody has rapped as well as he has. You know, Tupac, he was more like a a preacher or something, you know. But Biggie, he he was kind of a a jazz musician. You know, the style and cadence and what he could do with words and flipping them. And they're both brilliant people, very different from one another, but to me, equally talented. That's a great place to end. I want to thank you for joining us. But I mentioned at the top, your film was originally released in 2007. It's now been re-released. So can you tell our listeners where they can go to currently watch Notorious B.I.G. Bigger Than Life? Uh, I have a company called Rugged Entertainment. Our company is distributing the film. Currently, you can find it on Amazon, Tubi, Vudu, YouTube Movies, Google Play. I believe it's on IMDb. Yeah, IMDb. So a lot of places to see it, and I urge you to see it. I think it's a great movie, you know? Yeah, it is, and uh, I'd love to have you back. I want to watch Rhyme and Reason. I read the Rolling Stone uh, mention of that in the top 70 films, and I definitely wanted to catch that. Maybe we can have you back. I'd love that, Steve. 
All right, thank you, Peter Spire. He is the director and producer of Notorious B.I.G. Bigger Than Life. Thanks, Peter. Thank you, Steve. All Music Movies is part of the All Music Podcast Series and a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast Network. dedicated to helping you build the skills that get your home projects done right. That's why we offer free and interactive online DIY workshops. During the live streams, our knowledgeable associates help you tackle your DIY projects no matter your age or skill level. You can learn how to install new single pole switches as well as standard duplex and GFCI outlets. Register for free at homedepot.com workshops. The Home Depot, how doers get more done. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.